Hey everyone, happy Friday. I'm Brian Colbert-Kennedy, and this is Important Not Important, science for people who give a shit. The newsletter features the most important science news, how to think about it, and what the hell you can do about it. Hit subscribe right now so you get this audio newsletter every Friday, plus our conversations with the smartest people in the world on Mondays. You can find the digital version and links to everything at newsletter.importantnotimportant.com or right from your show notes. It's Friday, March 25th, 2022. Here's this week summarized. The SEC's new climate rule summarized. J&J's COVID shot redeemed. How to protect food workers in the climate age. PTSD and ecstasy. And Russia's lack of cyber warfare hypothesized. In climate change news, the United States Securities and Exchange Commission finally revealed plans to require all publicly traded companies to disclose their greenhouse gas emissions and the climate risks their businesses face. Shit's about to get real. Well, after it's challenged in court for forever. Net zero is bullshit greenwashing, and it's about to end. To date, measurement of emissions and exposures has basically been less than standardized, and reporting of those sums hasn't been required. With a real set of standards and requirements listed in SEC filings, probably modeled on the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or TCFD, companies can be held liable for their emissions slash contributions to this mess and for their subsequent exposure to real-world impacts like drought, flooding, fires, and more. A recent CDP report calculated the risks of 200-plus big companies at about a trillion dollars, so here we go. You're going to hear a lot about stranded assets in the months to come. Meanwhile, the most impactful remaining question is whether big companies will be required to list Scope 3 emissions, pollution from you using their products. Half of meat and dairy companies don't even bother counting. Will it hold up in court? With this court? Potentially not. But it's a start. The good news is the potential value of climate-related market opportunities like EVs, electrification, power, loans, etc. is way, way bigger than any cost of transitioning to a clean economy. Let's talk potatoes. We, the people, have never paid the true costs of the energy we produced. As such, massive wealth has been created on the backs of a devastated climate and ecosystem, and the carbon inequality transcends national borders. Corporate power players and policymakers can have an outsized impact on systemic business and policy changes to create a cleaner world for everyone. Your action step? The Stop the Money Pipeline campaign will spend April and May shareholder season demanding the world's largest banks stop providing financial services to any corporation expanding its fossil fuel operations. Join the chorus at StopTheMoneyPipeline.com. In COVID news, vaccine equity update. Just 14.4% of people in low-income countries have received at least one dose, and 35.8% of people worldwide have received zero doses. The popular but maligned Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine seems to be increasingly faring just as well as the mRNA shots. The jury's not in per se, but the data are growing and the accumulated real-world results of this more old-school vaccine may not only vindicate the shot and folks who worked on it, but reopen opportunities to vaccinate the world and much quicker. Reminder, it's just a single shot and doesn't require crazy cold storage. From the New York Times, quote, as of January 22nd, the latest data available, unvaccinated people were 3.2 times as likely to become infected as those who received the single-dose Johnson & Johnson vaccine. They were 2.8 times as likely to become infected as those who received two doses of the Moderna vaccine, and 2.4 times as likely as those with two doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech. Overall, then, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine appeared to be somewhat more protective against infection than the two alternatives, end quote. This is great news any way you slice it. One problem with the trust the science is a misconception that science is a result, not a process. We've been doing this thing live, all 7.9 billion of us, and while coronaviruses aren't new, this one is, and so are the vaccines we created to prevent transmission, sickness, and death. 
The case isn't closed and it's not crystal clear, so we need more data. But you know what? We always want and need more data, and the situation on the ground is profoundly more complex than it was a year ago. Instead of 7.9 billion people with no immunity and no vaccines, billions of people, but not all, have received a variety of different vaccines, and sometimes a combination of them, in a variety of sequential doses. Many, but not all of us, have been exposed to a growing variety of variants, killing some, making many more sick, and leaving others mostly fine. Meanwhile, antibodies are spiked and then diminish in each of us on literally billions of different timelines. That's science. And it's important to always take a step back, too, and understand that in the grand scheme of things, we're still in the beginning of COVID. We barely understand what it may do to bodies long term and how our society will effectively deal with millions of people suffering from long COVID, from diminished mental health, and more. And of course, to plan for the next one. Your action step. Thanks to a long overdue proliferation of home tests, official case counts sourced from pharmacies, hospitals, and doctor's offices mean very little now. You're going to hear a lot more about wastewater surveillance. It's super cool. Get educated at cdc.gov slash healthy water. In food and water news, food and farm workers are embracing unions at a time of great change. Why? A 2016 report found workers all the way down the food chain have, one, the lowest average wage compared to basically all other industries, two, are more likely to be food insecure, and three, more likely to rely on public assistance programs. And then, well, it continued to get hotter, and then there was this pandemic where those workers were still all of those things, but also forced to continue working in fields and factories and kitchens. The path to union organizing and worker protections is not an easy one. Many food workers are undocumented, and to say the industry is consolidated into Thanos-like corporations would be an understatement. And unions didn't do enough to protect meatpacking workers during the early pandemic. One answer? Consolidating union power across the food system, from farms to factories, not unlike the recent Hollywood IATSE proposed crew strike that united 150,000 below-the-line but essential workers to demand vastly more sane and safer work conditions. As Civil Eats reports, at the federal level, farm workers are still excluded from protections in the National Labor Relations Act that prevent employers from firing a worker for joining or supporting a union. Temporary migrant worker visas have tripled in recent years, and with water disappearing from so many farms in California and heat and floods threatening all the rest, protecting the workers toiling in our breadbaskets is only going to become more essential. Your action step? Support the awesome Food Chain Workers Alliance efforts to build a more sustainable food system that respects workers' rights based on the principles of social, environmental, and racial justice in which everyone has access to healthy and affordable food. In health and bio news... People suffering from PTSD, which may be a hell of a lot of folks in coming years, may have a new combo treatment, traditional talk therapy plus ecstasy. From Gizmodo, quote, Last year, a team led by University of California San Francisco researcher Jennifer Mitchell published the first results from their phase 3 trial of 90 patients with severe PTSD. Compared to placebo, MDMA-assisted therapy was highly effective and well-tolerated, they found, even among patients with other relevant health conditions such as depression and a history of substance use disorder. Specifically, two months after the last therapy session, about two-thirds of patients who took MDMA no longer fit the criteria for active PTSD, end quote. So why does it help? Because it's an empathogen, Mitchell said this week, it causes the release of oxytocin in the brain, which creates feelings of trust and closeness that can really help in a therapeutic setting. There's still ways to go, and Mitchell and team are trying in earnest to replicate the results, especially in light of how politically fraught MDMA's history is, and with so many past studies having failed the replication test. Your action step. This is not medical advice, and we are very, very clearly not doctors, but there are at least 24 studies recruiting participants for MDMA PTSD clinical trials. 
If that's you or someone you love, talk to your doctor or their doctor. And if it makes sense, you can check the open trials out at clinicaltrials.gov. In news, one open question in Putin's illegal war on Ukraine is, where's all the cyber warfare? As so many other parts of Putin's strategy come up short, he has resorted to more desperate, brutal tactics, including bombing and shooting civilians and children, and even taking over Chernobyl. Years after successive cyber attacks in Crimea and Ukraine and the United States, Russia's vaunted cyber abilities remain relatively silent. They attack the legendary nuclear power plant by armed force, not from hundreds of miles away, like in 2017. That doesn't mean the status quo will remain. As sanctions expand, questions about exit ramps percolate, and worries of nuclear retaliation grow, the odds that Russia, backed into at least an economic corner of their own making, lashes out at everyone involved. A key tenet of President Biden's strategy has been to declassify intelligence data nearly on the fly, revealing Putin's plans before he can execute them. And after a briefing this week, there are increasing concerns Russia is considering striking Ukrainian, NATO, and or U.S. critical infrastructure, like our ancient grid, pipelines, or financial institutions, which I probably don't have to tell you are not super-duper prepared. But preparing for and responding to these threats are fundamental pieces of Biden's overall plan to improve America's cybersecurity, the upkeep of which has been mostly voluntary to date. And there's a significant obstacle. Companies seemingly can't justify the costs of cyber defense, despite the far larger costs if they're hit. And if that sounds like our climate and pandemic preparedness models, well, then you've been paying attention. Your action step. Protect your business for the rest of us. Find the SEC's proposed cybersecurity rules for investment advisors, funds, and for public companies at sec.gov. And here's 10 things from the notebook. The EU is finalizing the Digital Markets Act, the most sweeping digital policy in a minute. What the hell happened at the FDA with that baby formula recall? Wow, are Indiana's waterways dirty. Scientists found microplastics in our blood for the first time. The annual Media Matters Climate Change on Broadcast TV report just dropped. One way to hire way more firefighters out west? Pay them a hell of a lot more money. Deep learning and 3D heart models. Can they predict heart attacks? Maybe. It might finally be time for adorably tiny nuclear reactors. The IEA has all the global energy data we need. It's locked behind a paywall. We need to change that. And e-bike sales are still through the damn roof. Fuck yeah. All right, that's the news for this week. Hit subscribe now so you get next week's analysis straight to your feed. And to go deeper on any of the news or to find your action steps, go to newsletter.importantnotimportant.com. Thanks so much for being a part of our community, and thank you for giving a shit. Have a great weekend.